0: Welcome to Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. In this show, we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing. And I am your host, Ramakrishna. Let's begin the show. Today's our guest is Jason Perot from Perot Real Estate. Welcome, Jason.
1: Hi, thanks for having
0: me. Thank you. A little bit about Jason and his company. Jason manages a real estate investment and management and development company and his company specializes in apartment rentals and distressed property rehabilitation and he provides tenants a good place to live at an affordable price and his goal is improving uh, every and one property at a time. So with that, Jason, would you like to add anything to your background?
1: Ah uh, sure. I, um uh, my wife and I built our our company over the last 20 years from you know from our first two unit about 20 years ago up to a little over two thousand units now. and we do a little bit of everything from you know a lot of things that we own personally, and we've syndicated uh, quite a bit of properties as well throughout the country. and uh, yeah, just happy to be here and and uh, um, talk real estate with you.: Sure. Thank you very
0: much. And would you share your thought process of getting into real estate and multifamily space and what is your reason?
1: Yeah, so when I started, I was a few years out of college, and you know the real the reason at that time why I liked real estate was that you know I, I didn't have any money, <laughs> and I thought and I thought uh, that was a path to having financial independence. And so you know my wife and I worked uh, both in the medical industry and sales, and so we were able to replace you know really good day jobs with income, both passive and active, from apartment and multifamily invest. So I think the reason that real estate is a great investment vehicle is that you know it provides stability and security in terms of preserving your equity and growing that but also providing active and passive income through the form of distributions and net profits and things like that. So I think in the long run what I've what I've seen at least in the last 20 years is that real estate rental real estate generally remains stable even through a pandemic, even through, you know, the crash of 2008 and after 9/11 and all these all these things that that um, can be disruptive to a lot of markets, investment in real estate doesn't typically suffer the same downturn. And the reason being, I mean, if uh, tenants need a place to live, you know, people need a place to live. Uh, as long as they pay their rent, then the the owner can pay their bills and, and hopefully uh, have enough left over to you know to to reinvest or live off of for for each individual property. So I just think it's a great asset class, and it's something that you know if you put some time and effort into it, it can reward you handsomely. Great, yeah, and thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So, would you share what is
0: your investment philosophy?
1: Sure. My investment philosophy, you know, it, it's it's not overly complicated. I mean, we we try to do good deals. You know, we try to buy properties that we're proud to own and that tenants will enjoy living in. And you know, that's a very baseline. No, no data or metrics to support that. But at the end of the day, you know, the very first thing I want to know when I buy a building is that am I going to be proud to own this? Am I going to enjoy, you know, my, my company, my team uh, being able to manage this property? And, you know, we like to see properties that have a little bit of upside, you know, so we'll never buy something that it's at its highest and best use. No example of that would be, you know, going in and buying a, um, you know, a bunch of uh, college rentals. And I love college rentals, but at the same time, um, if if we're buying from an owner who's already maximized that highest and best use of the property, there's probably not a lot of room to to squeeze out more profit from that building. But, if we were to buy buildings and convert them into college rentals, then we've, you know, then we've been, a, been able to achieve a reasonable amount of upside. So I like to buy something that has room for rent growth, room for, you know, expense reduction. So typical value add strategy, you know, not every deal has to be a grand slam or a home run. Uh, there can be a lot of deals that are just, you know, they're they're, they're nice base hits and they, you know, they, they check a box for us and they, you know, they, and it, when we stress test these, we try to make sure that uh, they'll be able to perform in any sort of market conditions. So that's generally how we, how we look at a deal and analyze a deal and make sure that, you know, whether we're being investors in or using our own capital, that it's going to provide adequate returns for, for the risk that we're undertaking.
0: Got it. And thank you. And you mentioned you will do stress testing. So would you share what exactly you will do as part of stress testing?
1: Sure. So we always, you know, right out of the gate when we buy an apartment building, we look at, you know, look at the tax increase and the imp- implications of the tax increase. And we work that into our budget year one. You know, so that, that's the first thing we, you know, we look at what is our maximum allowable vacancy rate that if things were to really get difficult, what's the highest vacancy rate that we can have and still be able to pay all of our bills, you know, and, and that's an important number to, to understand, you know, especially when you know, we're looking at like what we went through with COVID-19 uh, situation situation where you know if things were to get difficult at a given property we're still able to pay our bills and you know kind of keep the lights on so that, that's another area that we um that you know that we stress test and and you know we look at various scenarios you know you know what if the rent growth is not not as aggressive as we would like so we tend to, to not get overly aggressive with our underwriting so we will you know implement conservative underwriting but but look at things that you know may or may not happen right like like really high vacancy rates what does that happen if, if that's like that for a year you know, six months things like that having adequate reserves making sure that that we have, you know, aside from what lenders were requiring in the last year and a half in terms of COVID reserves, we generally always like to have quite a bit of reserves, you know, that rainy day fund, so that if things do get difficult, it doesn't, it does not hurt it hurt our ability to to manage and run the property well. Thank you very much.
0: So, would you share any of your breakthrough moments, Jason?
1: Sure. I mean, I think over the course of 20 years, I think I had a lot of them. I mean, I was just reflecting recently, you know, we, you know, right now it's early September, but at the end of August, my wife and I sort of celebrated 20 years since we, we purchased our first property. And I was reflecting back on that. And 20 years ago, I, I mean, there's no way I would have thought that I would have, uh, you know, ever been able to have achieved what we've achieved in this business in terms of the amount of properties, the, you know, the, you know, the amount of employees, the different markets. And I think getting there was, was a lot of breakthrough moments. I mean, a few years in the business, I found my first mentors and I realized that having a mentor or a coach, um, you know, can, can help you level up and accelerate your success or much faster. Um, so that was a huge breakthrough moment for me early on was finding men, you know, finding a mentor, you know, as we grew our business and, and used all of our own capital to grow our business in the first 10, 11 years, you know, another breakthrough moment was simply using other people's money, you know, working with private lenders, private investors. That was another huge breakthrough moment that then was able to accelerate additional success. And then, you know, one of the other things was was just, you know, getting into, you know, when we got into fix and flips after the the 2008 meltdown and getting into syndications in the last five years, these were concepts that I had thought about for a very long time, but had not taken action faster. And and one of the biggest breakthroughs was that, do what scares you, you know, get out of your comfort zone and take action much faster. I mean, it's not to say that you need to go so big, so fast, but I think that, you know, you don't also, you also don't have to analyze and think about things for, you know, three, four, five years. You can, you can take steps and and get around people that will help you make those decisions quicker.
0: Got it. And those are like very, very valid points. Thank you very much. And would you share your company's acquisition process and what markets you're looking, what what kind of business plan you're implementing and what's your exit criteria?
1: sure so our acquisition process i'm uh, in terms of my company my wife and i are generally you know deeply involved in the acquisition uh, process we we have some very strong broker relationships that cover uh, you know northwest pennsylvania northeastern ohio and those are the markets that we we do self manage in and so with those broker relationships they tend to understand what our criteria is what types of properties we're looking for how often we want to do deals and so the the brokers have trained us well but we've also trained them well in terms of having them present us deals that that we want to uh that we want to do so that's come with a lot of time in the business but as we've built that that broker relationship they're able to present deals in a, in a manner that you know they, they can do that initial underwriting for us of course we're going going to check that and, and you know run our own analysis but typically they'll they'll present an opportunity to us we'll you know they'll already know what our criteria is so we, we know that we're going to want to at least check the property out so you know we'll do our initial walkthrough analyze you know t12s run, roles, things like that. And if the deal makes sense, you know, I typically will run this by my lender. You know, I I use a, um, I use a loan broker and I've I've been very loyal to, to his group and they, they do a lot of, you know, they'll, they'll run their own analysis, run their own stress tests, and then they'll compare their underwriting with ours. And and typically if we're on the same page, we know the deals a go, and we work really fast to try and get the, the property under contract. If we have, you know, conflicting assumptions, you know, in the underwriting, we will, you know, we will compare our notes and make sure, you know, see if it's a deal that's worth pursuing or not. To me, it's about, you know, having a strong team. I mean, so, you know, we have that broker relationship. I have I've built a lot of you know, private seller relationships as well, but really sort of working the financing process and getting getting our lender on board before, you know, before we go into contracts. So we know that we can move quickly once we enter the due diligence process and we can, and that's a really good sales point to, to sellers is that we can, you know, we can uh, move quick on a on a deal. You know, when we look at exiting, we don't exit too much. You know, for me, I I think one of the the baselines is that for things we manage, if, if a particular property or a group of properties don't, if managing them becomes more difficult or distracting, then you know that takes away from uh, taking care of other parts of the business. Then we know it might be time to sell. But also, you know, if there's things that we've owned for quite a while, having you know having you know two decades in the in, in the business, we you know we look at it. You know, do we do we want to remarry the property and whether we refinance and pull out equity or or drop our payment or is it time to sell and then unlock some of that equity to reinvest into you know into another deal so most of the personally owned assets that that's how i look at that is that you know is this something i want to own for another you know five 10 or 15 years and if not then we we look at disposing of that disposing of that property on our, on our syndication deals you know we, we generally I, I try not to exit too soon uh, i think that you know it's great to unlock you know equity and have a you know a nice return of capital event but the challenge can be is where do you then reinvest those dollars to you know to have a, a similar return. So I think as long as we have a place we can we can place the capital, then, you know, perhaps we, you know, it's it's time to sell. But you know, when we we anal- you know, analyze it from a tax standpoint and and also a reinvestment opportunity standpoint, you know, where uh, we, we really have to analyze, you know, is it the right time to sell? Uh, and sometimes it is, but but a lot of times it's it's better to hold on and maybe wait, you know, another five or 10 years if the investment is going well.
0: Awesome. And thank you. Thanks for uh, detailed uh, explanation and information. Awesome. And so your company is vertically integrated and you're managing your properties, right? So, So would you share some best practices and some challenging experiences with
1: that? Sure. You know, I'm a big proponent of of self-management and and being vertically integrated. And I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, a lot more pros than cons to it. Now the challenge with third-party management, you know, I mean, there are a lot of great third-party managers and I don't mean to, I don't mean to insinuate that there's not, but I think that, you know, one of my mentors early on told me that, you know, no one will ever care as much as the owner about the property. And that's, you know, obviously that's not quite true, but, you know, if I'm majority owner in a lot of these deals, you know, we can ensure that, you know, we're willing to do whatever it takes to make, you know, to make the deal work. You know, if if, um, if we're short-staffed or there's you know crunch time to get things done, and we're we're willing to get our hands dirty and make sure that you know everything is running smoothly. You know, I think some best practices that relates to self-management is you know if and being vertically integrated is whatever market you're in. If you're doing that, being active with with local landlord associations, local not just investor groups, but you know for us in Pennsylvania, in Northwest Pennsylvania, we we have what's called the Apartment Association. I've been on the board and I've been president of it for the last few years and we represent 1600 landlords and, you know, we have leases, legal forms, access to landlord focused attorneys. And so, you know, you get around groups like that in in your area and you'll be able to understand the landlord tenant law that's maybe specialized to the, to the area you're in, you know, network with other landlords in terms of, you know, what they're seeing, how they're operating their properties. And it's not just small, you know, mom and pop landlords, there's some very large operators that will be active in those groups too. But I think, you know, the biggest thing is just keeping, educating yourself and trying to be a better and try to be a better property manager pro- better landlord you know always screening your tenants and you know being strict about about rent payment and and all of the policies you want for particular properties and so as an owner it's always beneficial to know these things because what happens if you if your whole property management team quits who's going to run the property and not that many of us don't want to get into the you know the nuts and bolts of doing the day-to-day operations but it, but it is useful to know how it operates and if you really want to understand what it takes to run the property and create a good budget when you' are are investing in larger uh, syndications, it's good to have that hands-on management and and truly understand what goes into the day-to-day operations.
0: Got it. Yeah. That is so much valuable information. And so would you share any of your best real estate investing experience so far, Jason?
1: Sure. I think, you know, some of the best experiences are just being able to sometimes, you know, when you have that time to sit back and reflect on the growth and, and the mistakes and the challenges and being able to learn from and tweak those. So, I mean, overall, like the biggest thing, great experience is just being able to build a company that provides gainful employment to, to a lot of people, helping them achieve their goals and their dreams. So that's really special and we, we enjoy that. And, and just, I think we, you know, love doing deals. So that ability to, you know, figure out new and different ways of, of doing deals. I mean, coming from doing, you know, our, our first duplex investment 20 years ago to you know, some of the deals we're closing now that that are you know, pretty sizable. Where we're bringing in you know a series of investors and creating syndications that you know that's that's really enjoyable. But some of the stuff that really sticks out, like you know the deal that we did that allowed us to quit, you know, allowed me to quit my day job and being able to walk away from a, a lucrative career into being self-employed into another lucrative career. But that so it's the deals like that and those those types of milestones that that you reflect on reflect on over time that that kind of hold a special place in your heart. And, you know, being able to, you know, although we work hard and put a ton of time in the business, you know, we're able to take off. And, and you know, this summer uh, took a three week road trip with my family, I would not have been able to do that with a W2 job. But during that time, I was able still able to work in the business and take time every day, but do it remotely and have that time with my family that, you know, if I was working a day, like a regular career, I wouldn't be able to wouldn't be able to take that kind of time off.
0: Got it. Thank you. So would you also share any of your challenging real estate experience so far?
1: Sure. I think the you know one of the biggest challenges is is learning how to, you know, learning how to deal with crises such as, you know, fires and floods and and you know, tenant issues that that can be very stressful. And so that's a huge challenge and you know for me a lot of these things you know the first time I ever had a fire I mean I was stressed out to no end. I mean I don't think I you know couldn't eat, you know I was sick to my stomach about it. And you know no one died. I mean it wasn't you know it just you know our apartment had suffered damage, but you know learning how to handle those things and knowing that those those challenges, challenges Challenges will come up as part of the business and you have to be able to take action and you can't let those types of things paralyze your ability to run your business. And one of the biggest challenges in this, in this business, and maybe any business I think is, you know, hiring employees and building a team. You know, they never really teach you that type of thing in college, you know, they don't, or high school and you know, even, you know, postgraduate type of study. It's, it's not like, you know, how do I build a company? How do I build a team? How do I build a culture? And that there's a lot of trial and error with that. And that's one of the hardest things for me, you know, is, is had been over the years, building that team, getting the right people that are going to, Work hard and, and you know share your vision and, and work hard to to get towards that vision. And uh, I think that you know by by joining various masterminds and investing in different technology and different courses and l- just keeping learning about hey what's the best way to structure my business? What's the best way to structure my employees and, and build these teams? And, and what types of positions do we need? As we learn more and, and we just keep refining that process and keep refining how our business is structured, it gets easier and it gets easier. And I think we've we've gotten to a point where it finally starts to feel feel right. Too.
0: Got it. Got it. And thank you. So, what is your current focus? And share something you're excited about now.
1: Yeah. So, you know, right now I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, we've got a, a series of deals happening right now. And, uh, you know, we're able to go in and, and do some major value add to some properties. And we, we love old buildings with character, you know, some, some of the old woodwork and brickwork and things of that nature that you just can't replicate, you know, in today's dollars at an affordable rate. And so being able to go into these hundred, 150 year old buildings and then on a big scale, put in some serious upgrades and, and make these, you know, really a high end, you know, a high end apartment. So So we're doing some of that in cleveland right now and that's it's really exciting you know really exciting and that that's kind of on the forefront of what we're doing right now
0: cool and thank you and good luck also oh thank you yeah so any one advice could have impact on you jason
1: yeah, I think one of the biggest pieces of advice and I, I you know, various mentors, I've read it in books and, and just I, I think the, the biggest thing that, that sort of helped help my mindset in this business was just take full accountability for everything. You know, if there's a tenant that doesn't work out or there's, you know, an, an investment that's that's having challenges, and just sort of don't celebrate your successes too too wildly and don't uh, you know, don't get too down. Just take accountability and own, you know, if you own every problem in your business and you figure out ways to fix them, you don't have time to get upset about it because you're, you're still, you just, all you're doing is trying to refine, refine your business and realize that if you take full accountability and responsibility for those things, you just live a much more peaceful life than, than trying to blame others for, for the shortcomings.
0: That is so powerful. Yep. So any of your personal habits that are helping you to be successful?
1: Sure. I think one of the biggest things is, you know, is, is taking, taking time for myself, you know, a really big thing that, you know, I like to journal, I like to set goals. I like to master mind. but you know, I make sure that I, I work on my fitness and, and health. And so trying to take, you know, time every day to, to just to get moving and exercise, I think is good for the body, but also the mind, um, you know, being able to shut it. So if it's at an hour two hours, half hour, whatever that is, just being able to kind of break a sweat and not think about business for a while, not think about the other stresses of, of what's going on. That's one the biggest habits I have that, that I, I try to be pretty religious about is that uh, i just trying to, to keep moving. And I think that's just great for your mental and, and emotional and physical health. Yep.
0: Yep. Sure. So any books that impacted your life and what way
1: yeah. I think, you know, I know every, every real estate investor, you know, says that, you know, the, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, and of course, rich dad, poor dad. But beyond that, I, I think, you know, one of the, two of the books that I give the most, one is the compound effect by Darren Hardy. And, you know, so a lot of people talk about massive action, but what really makes the biggest difference in your life is the, you know, the small daily habits, the small daily changes that, you know, when, when you, you know, do that over, a, you know, consistently and over a period of time, that's what makes the biggest change in your life. I mean, of course, massive action is, is great. And, and should be done when when possible. But you know, you're never gonna to get to that point of taking massive action if if you're not, you know, taking those small baby steps along the way. So that, that that compound effect is is a book that I just can't say enough about and, and has been one of the get, books I gift most often and and another one is a uh, Poor Charlie's Almanac which is a collection or compendium of of different speeches and writings by Charlie Munger who you know if people some people know some don't but he's Warren Buffett's right hand right hand man but is but is kind of well known in the in the you know the Berkshire Hathaway <laughs> circle and and he's you know obviously one of the greatest investors of our time alongside Warren and just has a lot of life and investment wisdom that can be applied to you know, just to, to your own life or, or to business, and it's just kind of a you know just cuts through the the fluff and just sort of a very straightforward approach on on a lot of things investing, and and I think it's just good advice from a non real estate person that that can be applied in, into our business. Cool, yep. Yeah. Both are solid books, yep. Yeah. So how are you giving back to community? Sure. So, you know, my wife and I really enjoy, you know, seeing people get into the home home ownership realm. I mean, I think we think that's like, you know, one of the, the biggest steps for most, you know, most Americans is that, you know, it's that American dream, right? Like buying owning your own home. So, we've been involved with Habitat for Humanity, and and uh, you know, that's that's helping generally people that would not qualify on their own for for home ownership, but you know, gives them the tools in terms of budgeting, you know, paying off debt, and being able to own their own home. And so, it's a great program. Um, we've been involved with them for for a number of years, and um, so So that's really important to us. We enjoy that. And then, you know, the sort of the non-charitable give back is just, you know, we really enjoy mentoring, you know, younger and, and, or newer investors in the business that are just getting started. So, you know, trying to be a mentor and a friend to those that are trying to get their start and, and help them get accelerated at a faster pace too, so they can achieve their, achieve their goals and their dreams.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And how can listeners can connect with you, Jason?
1: Sure. They can connect with me through my website, uh, perorealestate.com. If anybody wants to you know, jump on a quick call for a strategy session, um, they can click on my Calendly link and, and find any openings at uh, cal- calendly.com forward slash Jason Perro. And I'd uh, love, to, love to connect with any of your listeners.
0: Awesome. And thank you, Jason. Thanks for
1: adding value to the show. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. If you like the show, please
0: subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message, info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening, Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.